This is section thirty seven of Mark Twain, a biography. Volume two. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Mark Twain, a biography by Albert Bigelow Payne. Chapter one hundred and forty one. Literature and philosophy. Clemens took a further step toward becoming a publisher on his own account. Not only did he contract to supply funds for the Mississippi book, but as kaolatype the chalk engraving process, which had been lingeringly and expensively dying, was now become merely something to swear at, he had his niece's husband, Webster, installed as Osgood's New York subscription manager, with charge of the general agencies. There was no delay in this move. Webster must get well familiarized with the work before the Mississippi book's publication. He had expected to have the manuscript finished pretty promptly, but the fact that he had promised it for a certain time paralyzed his effort. Even at the farm he worked without making much headway. At the end of October he wrote Howells, The weather turned cold, and we had to rush home while I still lacked thirty thousand words. I had been sick and got delayed, and I am going to write all day and two-thirds of the night until the thing is done or break down at it. The spur and burden of the contract are intolerable to me. I can endure the irritation of it no longer. I went to work at nine o'clock yesterday morning, and went to bed an hour after midnight. Result of the day, mainly stolen from books through credit given, 9,500 words, so I reduced my burden by one-third in one day. It was five days' work in one. I have nothing more to borrow or steal. The rest must all be written. It is ten days' work, and unless something breaks it will be finished in five. He had sworn once, when he had finally finished A Tramp Abroad, that he would never limit himself as to time again, but he had forgotten that vow, and was suffering accordingly. Howells wrote from London, urging him to drop everything and come over to Europe for refreshment. We have seen lots of nice people, and have been most pleasantly made of, but I would rather have you smoke in my face and talk for half a day, just for pleasure, than to go to the best house or club in London. Clemens answered, Yes, it would be more profitable to me to do that, because with your society to help me, I should swiftly finish this now apparently interminable book but i cannot come because i am not boss here and nothing but dynamite can move mrs clemens away from home in the winter season this was in november and he had broken all restrictions as to time he declared that he had never had such a fight over any book before and that he had told osgood and everybody concerned that they must wait. I have said with sufficient positiveness that I will finish the book at no particular date, that I will not hurry it, that I will not hurry myself, 
that I will take things easy and comfortably, write when I choose to write, leave it alone when I do so prefer. I have got everything at a dead standstill, and that is where it ought to be, and that is where it must remain. To follow any other policy would be to make the book worse than it already is. I ought to have finished it before showing it to anybody, and then sent it across the ocean to you to be edited as usual, for you seem to be a great many shades happier than you deserve to be, and if I had thought of this thing earlier I would have acted upon it and taken the tuck somewhat out of your joyousness. It was a long, heartfelt letter. Near the end of it he said, Cable has been here, creating worshippers on all hands. He is a marvelous talker on a deep subject. I do not see how even Spencer could unwind a thought more smoothly or orderly and do it in cleaner, clearer, crisper English. He astounded Twitchell with his faculty. You know that when it comes down to moral honesty, limpid innocence, and utterly blemishless piety, the apostles were mere policemen to Cable. So with this in mind, you must imagine him at a midnight dinner in Boston the other night, where we gathered around the board of the Somerset Club. Osgood full, Boyle O'Reilly full, Fairchild responsively loaded, and Aldridge and myself possessing the floor and properly fortified. Cable told Mrs. Clemens, when he returned here, that he seemed to have been entertaining himself with horses, and had a dreamy idea that he must have gone to Boston in a cattle car. It was a very large time. He called it an orgy, and no doubt it was, viewed from his standpoint. Osgood wanted Mark Twain to lecture that fall, as preliminary advertising for the book, with Life on the Mississippi as his subject. Osgood was careful to make this proposition by mail, and probably it was just as well, for if there was any single straw that could have broken the back of Clemens' endurance and made him violent at this particular time, it was a proposition to go back on the platform. His answer to Osgood has not been preserved. Clemens spoke little that winter. In February he addressed the Monday Evening Club on What is Happiness? presenting a theory which in later years he developed as a part of his gospel, and promulgated in a privately printed volume, What is Man? It is the postulate, already mentioned in connection with his reading of Lecky, that every human action, bad or good, is the result of a selfish impulse, that is to say, the result of a desire for the greater content of spirit. It is not a new idea. Philosophers in all ages have considered it, and accepted or rejected it, according to their temperament and teachings, 
but it was startling and apparently new to the monday evening club they scoffed and jeered at it denounced it as a manifest falsity they did not quite see then that there may be two sorts of selfishness brutal and divine that he who sacrifices others to himself exemplifies the first whereas he who sacrifices himself for others personifies the second the divine contenting of his soul by serving the happiness of his fellow-men mark twain left this admonition in furtherance of that better sort diligently train your ideals upward and still upward toward a summit where you will find your chiefest pleasure in conduct which while contenting you will be sure to confer benefits upon your neighbor and the community it is a divine admonition even if in its suggested moral freedom it does seem to conflict with that other theory the inevitable sequence of cause and effect descending from the primal atom there is seeming irrelevance in introducing this matter here but it has a chronological relation and it presents a mental aspect of the time clemens was forty-eight and becoming more and more the philosopher also in logic at least a good deal of a pessimist he made a birthday aphorism on the subject the man who is a pessimist before he is forty-eight knows too much the man who is an optimist after he is forty-eight knows too little he was never more than a pessimist in theory at any time in practice he would be a visionary a builder of dreams and fortunes a veritable colonel sellers to the end of his days end of chapter one hundred and forty one literature and philosophy read by john greenman